Well, good morning. It is good to be back and uh, see all of you again. We had a great trip to Canada visiting family and uh, for about three weeks, so it's nice to be back home and uh, get back into the Word again. Um, so we continue our study in, in the Gospel of Matthew, and we've come to one of the most critical passages um, in Matthew, and particularly uh, a critical passage when it comes to prophecy. Uh, Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus talks about future events, and uh, we want to do an overview of some of those this week. Uh, my son David will start in Matthew 24 next week and start doing verse by verse. Then the following week, I'll come back in and do more overview um, of, of the prophecies. Uh, pro- prophecy in the Scripture is a huge subject, and so we want to try to deal with as many aspects of it as we can over the next few weeks. Now, most of you know that Krista uh, and I have seven children, and um, as the babies were growing in her womb, uh, it became more and more evident that something was going to happen, and that something was that she was going to deliver uh, or soon give birth. The signs of the impending birth were more and more pronounced each day. And as we got closer to the delivery date, uh, it, the signs were just obvious that she was about to deliver a baby. And as a matter of fact, sometimes she would go into labor, at least we would think it was labor. There were contractions, there was pain, and it seemed like her labor began. And as a first-time father, I quickly got out the books to see what was happening, and I checked to make sure that I was checking for the the right amount of uh, space between uh, contractions and and um, by the time we got to the seventh one, <laughs> we were actually watching a movie that night. And she says, I'm in labor. I said, yeah, I know. I got the chart. I'm, I'm working on it. And let's finish the movie. She says, no, we need to get to the hospital and we need to get there now. And so we never did finish the movie. I have no idea what it was. But during this time um, of what we would call false labor, that's the um, not the medical term for it, medical, medically they call it Braxton Hicks labor, it's false labor. It seems like the real thing, but it doesn't last. If, you know, if you change positions or if you get out and go for a walk, sometimes those uh, labor pains just, they go away. However, actual labor doesn't. Once you start actual labor, it's going to keep going. It's going to uh, be regular, and it grows in frequency. The, the labor pains grow in frequency. The contractions also grow in intensity until the baby is born. I believe that we are nearing the end of the church age. The church age started at Pentecost, when the, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon the believers and the uh, church age ends at the rapture. So there are two terminal points. The uh, first point, the beginning of it is um, in Acts and the end of it is very near. I don't know exactly when, I don't know the date or the hour, but 
it's, it's obvious something is happening, right? Do you see the signs? Do you see indications that uh, something is happening? We're nearing the end. And the signs of His coming are more pronounced each day, and the signs are obvious. It's almost like, as the song we're going to sing at the end says, it's almost like we can hear His footfall at the threshold of the door. Jesus is coming again to take us home to be with Him. And the actual end of uh, the age will result in regular signs which grow in frequency and in intensity. Soon, the, what we are experiencing right now, as much as it seems like there are actual fulfillments of the Scripture, what we're actually seeing right now is the spiritual Braxton Hicks. This is not the end yet. The passage in Matthew 24, 24 and 25, you will see that it really deals with the nation of Israel. And it follows chronologically the, uh, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, uh, judgments that you see in uh, Revelation. Soon the false labor pains cease and Jesus will rapture us uh, to himself in the air so that we will forever be with the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 5.3, it says this, For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. It will not stop until the Lord finishes uh, his uh, purposes. But, Believers, I want to emphasize this again to you. Believers will be raptured before the actual labor pains begin. Praise the Lord. Because I don't think anybody in their right mind would want to go through the tribulation period. Now, during this um, foreshadowing time, the Braxton Hicks times, we'll call it, uh, we are experiencing some of the things that Jesus Predicted. They're not the actual labor pains, but they're indications. Just like a pregnant woman becomes more and more obvious that she's going to give birth, so the uh, signs of the time or the events in our history indicate that Jesus is coming very soon. What are once the actual labor pains begin, or the labor that that is talked about in First Thessalonians five three begins? What are the signs that we will see. And so we're going to show some graphic illustrations. We are now in um, month 21 since the first reported case of COVID-19 in the USA. And this worldwide panic and worldwide pandemic has had an impact on every human being on the planet in some way. By some estimates, uh, this is actually yesterday's news, uh, over 220 million people have been infected by this disease, resulting in over four and a half million deaths. Uh, another term for the pandemic is pestilence. The, the definition of pestilence is any virulent or fatal, contagious or infectious disease, especially one of epidemic proportions. Well, if it's true of epidemic proportions and we're in a pandemic, 
uh, even more so that this is a pestilence. And Jesus warned in uh, Luke chapter 21, verse 11, about coming famines and pestilences. The fact that we're seeing some of this now indicates what? His coming is very soon. So, the second thing we want to look at is illustration number two here. Do you know that uh, as of yesterday, nearly 5.5 billion vaccine doses have been administered? This is uh, part of John Hopkins University website. The world's population by the end of next year is predicted to be 8 billion people on the planet. So if they've only had 5.5 billion doses, and some of us have had two vaccines already, and now they are requiring in some cases or suggesting, in fact, this past week, two of my doctors wrote to me and said, you need to get in for your third dose. You need to get in for your booster shot. You have an immune compromised body because of cancer. Get in, get your third shot. So I'm saying, okay, that's three shots times 8 billion people, and they're at 5.5 doses, 5.5 billion doses at this point. Um, we need 18.5 billion more doses if we're going to vaccinate everybody according to their program. The problem is that breakthrough cases with the more contagious Delta variant demonstrate that the, ver that the vaccines may not actually be as effective as the uh, experts first thought. Why do you need a third dose if the first two were effective? Um, now, new variants are making headlines just this week, the MU variant, and the World Health Organization is, is tracking 13 new variants at this present time. Um, it, it changes, it morphs, it, it uh, is, the, the virus wants to live, and so it's going to keep morphing. Jesus warned about various troubles in Mark 13, 8, which are the beginnings of sorrows. If that's true of what's coming at the end, and we're already seeing things, His coming is near. Praise the Lord. As believers, we should be praising the Lord, not for the uh, hurt and, and harm and, and, and deaths that are occurring, but praise the Lord that He's coming, and He's coming very, very soon. Uh, the next illustration shows a... Um, Something that is now being called your um, uh, COVID uh, vaccine passports. California is among many states, provinces, and countries to issue a personal digital COVID-19 vaccine record with your personal QR code uh, to prove that you have uh, uh, complied with you know the vaccine rules. Many people fearful of government intrusion, wonder if this is a precursor to the mark of the beast. Now, I don't consider this to be the mark of the beast, but I do think that this is softening people up to be more ready to accept the mark of the beast. So we are not going to be here, believers, for the mark of the beast. So this is not it. But it is, a, it is what we see happening in our society uh, most, some of you were here uh, when 9-11 hit and the trade towers were brought down. And I was shocked at that time by how quickly Americans gave up rights and freedoms that they had. 
But more and more as time has gone on, we're doing it more frequently and, and in ways that I, I never thought would ever, ever take place. So people wonder, is this a precursor? And it probably is, like I said, just a softening up of people to accept uh, ultimately the mark of the beast that will come during the tribulation period. Many employers now require uh, the vaccine passport, as they call it, or the QR code, uh, as uh, proof of vaccination for employment. And if you don't have it, and if you're unwilling to take the vaccination, you will be fired. Restaurants, airlines, hotels, and many indoor activity centers will mandate it for guests. Recently in a church in Canada, a man called the uh, church leadership, and, uh, and I think also texted on Facebook to some of them, um, and he wanted them to separate within the church building. On this side, we will have the vaxxed, and on that side, we will have the unvaxxed. And we are going to show who is complying with the rules and who is not. And he even called members of the church staff unsaved because of their tolerant view of accepting both vaccinated and unvaccinated people in the church. That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Now, I did hear after this event that the church leadership addressed the issue with this particular man, and he apologized for what he did. But this is the mentality of many people today that, you know, we are the vaxxed and you are not. And it's almost like this separation that is going on um, among people. The health minister in British Columbia has mandated many segments of society to be fully vaccinated. And she has absolutely no tolerance for those who object due to pre-existing health conditions or for religious reasons. It hit home personally. Both my sister and my father lost their jobs. Uh, they were fired because they are not vaccinated and they will not get vaccinated due to health concerns and pre-existing health conditions. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 10, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Do we see that happening in our society today? Absolutely. And uh, again, this is not the end time in the sense that we are in the tribulation, but it's a precursor to that. And we are facing tribulation, but we are not in the tribulation. Okay, illustration number four. Major wildfires have erupted in California, in Oregon, Washington State, British Columbia. Um, and this is not the first time. This is an ongoing problem within our, uh, our countries. But even unsaved people recognize that something is terribly wrong, not just with the way they manage forests, but there is something terribly wrong in the world. The headline of ABC News on May 3rd, 2021 read, Like Armageddon, California's 2021 wildfire season would, could be extreme, state officials warn. Like Armageddon, these are unsaved people that are writing this. ABC News is not a Christian organization by any stretch of the imagination, and yet they are using a biblical term of something that is going to take place, 
Even the unsaved recognize there is something wrong going on in our world, in creation. We are now in September 2021, and according to CAL FIRE, in California alone, 6,272 fires have burned so far this year, more than the 5,636 fires last year at the same time, and far more than the five-year average of 4648. The point is they're increasing, and they're increasing in size, they're increasing in intensity. Um, three weeks ago, at the beginning of August, when Chris and I uh, drove up to Canada, uh, the borders were going to be open, and we were going to be allowed to go in. I felt like we've been in prison for two years, and we were allowed to go in and visit my family, and uh, so we crossed into the border, and saw them for three weeks, but the U.S. has not reciprocated. They're not allowing Canadians to come into the U.S. The only advantage I had is that I'm, I'm a Canadian, and when I got to the Canadian border, I said, I'm a Canadian citizen with my American wife of 38 years, and they said, okay, well, you can come in then. On the way back, we said, well, she's an American, and I'm her legal husband of 38 years, and they go, okay, well, then you can come in then. But as a pure Canadian, I would not be allowed to come in. There's these kind of restrictions that are going on. Anyway, the day we left, um, you may remember three, four weeks ago, uh, smoke from the fires had actually uh, crossed the country to New York. That's a long way. California fire smoke had, had reached New York. We had not experienced much of it actually in the Bay Area at that time. But the day we left... The smoke, the winds shifted and the smoke came into the Bay Area. Um, and we left that, that morning and we drove, uh, yeah, 300 miles in smoke before we got out of smoke, going straight north on I-5. And it wasn't until we got past Shasta, almost into Oregon, finally the smoke cleared. On the way back, the smoke, we hit the smoke earlier. It was 500 miles of smoke coming back this way. These fires are out of control. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, the Bible tells us that the world is going to end in flaming fire. Not hard to imagine, but we are not yet at the end. The next illustration uh, will show you uh, something similar to what we saw on our drive up to uh, Vancouver. One of the areas that we passed through is uh, Mount Shasta, and then just north of that is Shasta Lake. It's a beautiful lake when it's full. I was shocked to see no snow on Mount Shasta. I've never seen that before in my life. And I was shocked to see how low the waters are in uh, Lake Shasta. Now, if you know Lake Shasta, you know that many people vacation there and they rent houseboats and they go out onto the water. All of the houseboats are all in the center, uh, deeper, deepest water, all lined up like a freight train. It's, it's uh, shocking to me to see the water levels so low. The picture that I'm showing um, is actually not of Lake Shasta, but um, of uh, Lake... Um, Oroville. So, according to the Guardian's June 7, 2021 report, California's previous drought lasted roughly seven years from December 2011 to March 2019, according to official estimates. But some scientists believe that it actually never ended. 
these researchers suggest that the, the West is actually gripped by an emerging mega drought that could last for decades. Uh, a 2020 study that looked at the tree rings for historical climate clues concluded that the region may be entering the worst prolonged period of drought encountered in more than 1,200 years. So it's not that it's never happened before, but 1,200 years is a long time. Um, this picture that we have here um, is a photo that shows Lake Oroville, which is southeast of Chico. In two, the top picture is 2018. The second picture is April 2021. The third picture is July 2021. You can just see the amount of water that is being consumed. While we suffer from continuing drought conditions, other states in the country are suffering from torrential rains and floods. And both drought and floods ruin crops. Jesus said there will be famines. But the famines in the end times will be worse than anything we have or will see during our time on earth. The next illustration, of course, when we think about end times, we often, especially in California, think about earthquakes. And earthquakes continue to rock the planet with an overall increase, both in severity and frequency, in the last few decades. Jesus predicted there will be great earthquakes in various places. But what will it be like to endure the actual labor pains during the tribulation if this that we have experienced is false labor? So this illustration here is from 1982, well actually 1988, uh, through 2014, just showing the uh, frequency and intensity of earthquakes uh, throughout the planet. The next illustration shows the overall so-called natural disasters in the world over time. And this chart shows a period of time from 1970 to 2019, and it includes <clears throat> um, volcanic activity, wildfires, earthquakes, floods, you know, just all kinds of natural disasters. Once again, you can see the increase in intensity, increase in frequency, much like labor pains that come upon a woman. Although the death toll from these recent disasters is heart-wrenching, during the tribulation period, during the first, so that there are seal judgments, they are the first judgments that, that occur in the tribulation period. The first four seal judgments result in one quarter of the world's population being decimated. So if the Lord doesn't come, and if there remain eight billion people on the planet when he does come, you can imagine the, the death toll, two billion people dying in the first four judgments um, of the end times. Now, over the next few weeks, we were, we're going to look at Matthew 24 and 25, and we will try to fit all of these things that I've talked about into the Scripture um, and show how they are greater, they are more than um, what we are experiencing right now. We're going to fit them, and the nice thing about Matthew is that he gives us a chronological order so that we can see where the events fit in the prophetic timeline. Um, so, let's step back for just a second. Matthew chapter 23, 
at the end of it, Jesus, so we're looking at a, a, a week's worth of time um, where Jesus uh, comes into the city. He's uh, recognized by some as the Messiah. Uh, uh, branches of palm trees are thrown before him and they say, Hosanna, you know, to, to God in the highest and so on. So he is um, brought in that way, but he sees very quickly that the people are not going to submit to him. They are not going to sing the song that we sang this morning and crown him Lord of all. They're going to crown him with a crown of thorns at the end of this week, and they're going to crucify him on the cross. That's what they're going to do to Jesus. And so Jesus uh, overturned the money changers. He cleansed the temple. And at the very uh, last week, we looked at the fact that he said to Israel... Um, in Matthew 23, 38, your house is left to you desolate. He said, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. It's not that I was not willing. You would not. And he says, your house is left desolate uh, to you. And so Israel will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. We're going to look at that um, in future weeks, but right now we don't have the time to go into that in detail. So Jesus and his disciples left the temple area. They went through the valley to Mount of Olives, and they sat on the Mount of, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and they could look back at Jerusalem. And it seemed, the disciples seemed to miss the significance of what had just taken place in uh, Jerusalem. Jesus was essentially saying to them that uh, the prophetic clock for Israel has now stopped. You have now uh, lost the favored nation status with God, and you will not uh, be in that condition again, and it will ultimately be until the end of the tribulation period. The disciples seem to miss all of that. And as they came to the Mount of Olives, they were uh, very enthusiastic about the temple. They had just been they had just been there, and what a glorious building it was! And great big stones that they had uh, used to build this temple. Um, you know, the house of God was what the Israelites thought, and this is the place where God meets with His people. But God was there in the flesh, in the in Jesus. And he just left them and said, your house is left desolate to you. They didn't understand that. The temple that stood in Jesus' day was called Herod's temple because Herod had initiated a reconstruction project on the temple starting in 20 B.C. And he continued that for 46 years. It was a big project. This beautiful massive structure was the center of Jewish worship. Yet this magnificent building was meaningless in light of the Jewish rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to show you a video clip uh, depicting the rebuilt temple as it might have appeared in Jesus' day. So we'll look at that now.
the large building is the temple. The other buildings are surrounding. Thank you, Luke. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. In Mark, we read, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And so the temple was the large uh, building in that um, video that you saw and the temple complex, Luke, do you have the picture of the, um, of the uh, temple itself, illustration 9 there? So the temple complex included other buildings and courtyards. Um, and so the disciples were pointing to the temple complex and were very impressed with its size and its glory, and, uh, just as you might have been uh, in watching the video. You may have noticed the gold on the temple, and that plays into what Jesus is about to say. In verse 2, he says, and Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus predicted that this temple would be destroyed and not one stone would be left upon another. It seemed unfathomable when you look at the size and the, and the stature and the glory of this building. But in 70 AD, the Romans did come in to Jerusalem and they did destroy the temple just 40 years later after Jesus uh, said these words. The Roman general, Titus, laid a siege to Jerusalem from March to September of 70 AD. Titus apparently tried to spare the temple, but his soldiers disobeyed orders and set it ablaze. And as the fire melted the gold that was on the stones, the gold melted between the stones, and the only way to get to it was to literally pry the stones apart and scrape the gold off of the stones and push the stones down the hill so that they could get to the next stone. And so not one stone was left standing on the other, just as Jesus predicted. The prophecy must have shocked the disciples when they heard it, because they were, you know, floored by the glory of it. Look, Jesus, look at this beautiful temple that we just came from. Not one stone is going to be left on another, he said. And so the disciples, kind of thrown back by this, asked three questions. Number one, when will these things be? Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? And number three, what will be the sign of the end of the age? It's interesting to note that the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, um, Jesus only answers questions two and three. He does not answer the question of when uh, will these things be? But in Luke chapter 21, we have the answer to the when question. So in Luke 21, verse 20, it says this, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus is describing here a siege. And the siege of Titus answers the first question that the disciples asked: When will these things? Uh, when will these things be? And we know that this specific part of the pro- prophecy, or the answer to their question, actually happened in AD seventy. Questions two and three did not happen in AD seventy. So this part of it took place in AD seventy where Titus came and his goal was to destroy Jerusalem. And he, it was the time of the Passover. And so thousands of pilgrims came to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And once they got within the city walls, he surrounded the city walls of Jerusalem with his armies and laid siege to that city until the people starved. He would not allow anyone out and he allowed the people to starve uh, to death, and so we know that um, he he starved some, and then he marched in, killing many with the sword, and carried others into captivity, and sent set fire to the temple and to the city. Jesus said in this passage, "Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled." So, what does that mean? What are the times of the Gentiles? So when I was a kid, we used to watch series on TV about, you know, it would go on week after week, some series of, of a cartoon or something like that, and they would stop right at the good point and then say, come back next week, same time, you know? So we're going to look at that in the future, not this week. We're going to look at it in the future. Matthew chapter 24 and 25 answers the second and third questions. What will be the sign of your coming and what will be the sign of the end of the age? And the focus of this, these two chapters is primarily on the Jewish people. It's very interesting that the church is not seen in chapters 24 and 25. It is not there. For Jesus will come for his church and take us away to be with him in heaven. God has a calendar for Israel. Um, And the same week Jesus spoke this prophecy, he stopped the clock of Israel's timepiece. Daniel the prophet tells of a, (coughs) excuse me, of a period of 70 weeks of years of God's dealings with Israel. The 69th week ended precisely on the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey. And, and that stopped the prophetic clock at week 69. So if God says through the prophet Daniel that there will be 70 weeks 
to fulfill his dealings with Israel, and there's one week missing, what do you suggest is going to happen? Is God lying and he changed his mind? No, that week still has to be fulfilled because God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. Has he spoken? Shall he not make it good? The scripture talks about that. And so this 70th week is actually, it coincides exactly with the seven year tribulation period. But in between the stopping, well, let's do it this way because you're looking that way. Stopping the 69th week and finishing the 70th week, there's a 2,000 plus year time frame that is not seen in this prophecy. And that is the church age that we are currently living in. The signs that we talked about at the beginning of the message that we currently see, we're seeing the, the pregnancy, shall we say, of what's to come. But the fulfillment has to do with uh, Israel and to do with Jerusalem, God's people, and that will not take place until the church is out of here. That period, the church age, will end at the rapture, and then God punches the clock again and starts the time ticking for seven more years. And it's a very specific time frame. Again, we'll look at this um, at a future uh, message. So one other thing I want to just say here um, for myself and for those who are going to be preaching in um, Matthew 24 and 25, and that is that, the, that we believe the only proper way to interpret Matthew 24 and 25 is a literal interpretation. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. That means Jesus is going to come before the tribulation. He is going to come to the air, the scripture says, and we will meet him in the air, the Bible says. So he's coming again, first off, to the air, and we meet him in the air. But at the end of the tribulation period, at the end of the seventh uh, 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year seven tribulation period, Jesus is coming again to the earth with his saints. So I just want to make that, just stick this in your mind, memorize it. He is coming to the air for his saints. Say that with me. He is coming to the air for his saints, the church. Then he's coming again with his saints to the earth. Just Stick that in your heart, in your head. That is a proper interpretation of Bible prophecy. And it's the fulfillment of Daniel 7, the seven-year tribulation is the fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week of prophecy. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus will come back with his bride to the earth and set up his millennial reign. Millennial is a thousand-year reign of peace. Praise the Lord. We'll finally have a righteous uh, leader, a righteous ruler, who will um, reign on the earth. We reject all other interpretation of prophecies. They just don't fit. And so these events that we're going to be looking at still must occur, and the church will not go through the seven-year tribulation period. Many believers have all kinds of questions about the future. They ask, well, how can we be sure that we're not going through the tribulation period. Aren't we at the beginning of the tribulation now? 
Aren't we seeing increased intensity and, and frequency? Will we be required to take the mark of the beast? These are kind of questions that believers have um, even now. Are we supposed to be ready um, to run for the hills? The Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the context, Paul is speaking there in 1 Thessalonians 5 of the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. And he says to believers, and he makes very clear distinctions between believers and unbelievers, and he says to believers, God did not appoint us to wrath. When is the wrath of God going to be poured out upon the earth? It's in the tribulation period. Why does God not um, pour out His wrath upon us? Because God's wrath has already been poured out upon His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ bore your sins and the punishment for your sins in His body on the tree. And when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are then placed in Christ. And we are His forever. And we will not suffer judgment. If we are in Christ and we are the body of Christ, Jesus is not going to suffer judgment again. He's already borne the judgment for our sin. And so we will not suffer the wrath of God as it is poured out upon the earth, but we will be with Christ as his bride in heaven during that uh, period of time. God demonstrates his vengeance with an outpouring of wrath upon the earth. But that wrath is not for us. He will save us. Not only has He saved us from the penalty of our sin, He will save us uh, from the wrath to come. God saves us from the tribulation. You know, it's interesting. There, there are clues in the Bible about this as well. Um, just as Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and God saved him from the flood, even so we will be saved uh, from the tribulation. Just as Abraham prayed to the Lord for his nephew Lot um, <coughs> by appealing to the Lord, and this is his appeal to the Lord. When God said he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with fire, flaming fire, vengeance upon these cities for their wickedness, Abraham prayed this way, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And of course we know what happened. God spared Lot and his family uh, from the judgment that was being poured out upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God spared Lot from fiery destruction, and God will spare his church from the same. Believer, when you see all these things happening around you, do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus said, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Our time has quickly gone, so I'm actually going to stop here. And I've made a couple of promises about things that we're going to look at in weeks to come. Um, I will say one more thing just before we close. David is going to start next 
Sunday, Lord willing, if we're still here, if the Lord hasn't come. And he's going to start with uh, the first part of Matthew, and he's going to look at the first half of the tribulation period. So the tribulation, as most of you already know, is made up of seven years, but it's divided into two parts. There is the first half, the first three and a half years is called the tribulation. The second half is called the great tribulation. And it's not great because it's fantastic. It's great because of the severity of the judgment that falls upon the earth during that period of time. So as we get into verses, just recognize it as he goes through the first part of uh, Matthew 24 and read it in advance. You'll see that this is all dealing with the tribulation period. You'll be in heaven, happy with Jesus. Judgment will fall upon the earth. And God in His mercy, even though He's judging the world, still is longing for the people of the world to repent of their sins and to turn to Him for salvation. And so we'll end with that today um, and uh, just rejoice in the, in the Lord for what He has done in our lives by sparing us from his wrath by allowing Jesus Christ to bear our sins in his body on the tree. Let's just pray, and then, Matt, we have a closing hymn. Father, we thank you for alerting us to what you are about to do on the earth. Thank you for the indications that something is about to happen and that it's about to happen soon. We look forward to the time when we hear that glad shout of the Lord Jesus Christ calling his beloved one uh, to himself. And as the graves of those who have died before us are opened and they rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Lord, it is a great comfort to our hearts to know this, and we just thank you for it. We just pray, Lord, that we might live in light of it this week, and also, Lord, that we might continue to share the good news of salvation with those who still don't know you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.